It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 26th day of January 2017. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And that's not, uh, he or, uh, is supposed to be in here any minute, uh, hopefully. And, uh, uh, let's see what happens here. If, if you all hold on a second, I'll try to call him. You think I can hold on, John? Yeah, let's hang on a minute. Okay, hold on. Whoop. Yeah. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, John. Uh, but Ashnod is on his way. He got no, stuck in the garden. <laughs> he, got, he got stuck in the garden uh, behind the tiller or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he, he's on his way. He'll be here shortly. Uh, it must be nice to live in a place where you can have a garden right now. Well, yeah, here well, I'm here you. My grandma's well, so hard to break the bags off my pillow. <laughs> I guess we plan bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could grow icicles, that's for sure. Yeah. You <laughs> could here. 32 here, actually, with my baby making that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, what do you think of this new guy here? John, what do you think of this new guy that come in from the beer company? I forget uh it's supposed to be under the new Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Oh. Well, I forget I his name. In the right place. Well, I guess it's in the right place. Well, yeah, they said he didn't need money. Uh, but his whole whole family, back to his great-granddad, I guess, served in the service as Marines. And uh, his dad served as a Marine. His kid, two boys, served as Marines, and he was a Marine. And he retired his commission there, and, and uh, I guess... Somehow the other got in a brewery business, but they say, you know, maybe, he don't maybe, need it for the money. Maybe, maybe he can get some hot, some barley and brew up some benefits for the veterans. Yeah. Oh, I see we got a a, a, a caller called in. Uh, caller, are you there? Yeah, I am. Hold on a second here. i gotta <laughs> got to get a phone that works better. Charged up. <laughs> oh, 
I'm Can you hear me okay? Yeah, but I tell you, we was we were worried. Uh, well, you know, I was out there. I thought, God, it ain't going to rain today. Maybe I can go ahead and scoop all the horse poop and put it in the garden and rototill it in there. And I was just making the last pass and putting the, the tractor in the shed. And I felt my leg vibrate from the phone. And I went, wonder if it's getting close to four yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we... We checked all the hospitals, and I figured I'd call your number to fell uh, on the last call. But, uh. Well, yeah, I'd call the hospital first, but no, I'm February 8th at 10 a.m. I'm supposed to go splat on the table while they stick that thing in my chest. Oh, my. Well, well I'm, I'm looking forward to it, actually. It, it's just a... It's just one more insurance policy. It's like having a fire extinguisher on your boat. Well, I guess <clears> that <throat> would be important. Is Gerald? Yeah. No. Hello? You look, Is this a pacemaker? With your out? engine on fire out there about a mile or two from shore and saying, God, you know, that's funny. I could have put one on here, but I was and I was going to, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get you when you need it. It's your defibrillator. It's a, yeah, it's actually, this, uh, I didn't realize it, but this one's a combination. It's a, uh, what do you call it? A pace, yeah. not a pacemaker. It's a, uh, AFib or something A-C-I-D. like that. It's a, ACID. Yeah, it's a it, it's, yeah. defibrillator thing, but it's another one there if your heart starts to tripping and, and misbehaving, why it'll give it a couple of little blasts to get it back on track. But if your heart just quits beating yeah. entirely, it kicks in and gives you the clear. Oh! Well, I'm going to tell you something. I've got I've got a lot of friends that have those things installed inside their chest cavity. Yeah, and a they, they of had friends have informed me that when they go off, it's going to sit you up right in the bed. <laughs> oh my <laughs> lands! Told me I wouldn't sleep through it, but the most important thing was is when it goes off, you call nine one one immediately and have them come and get you. Don't try to drive to the hospital and think you're some kind of <laughs> Sir Galahad. You don't have, you know, you don't need any help. Man has one of those things that he he kicks the bucket and if you get to take it out, so you lay down the funeral home road, come by and check him out. That thing goes off. He'll sit it up in the casket. <laughs> Well, Howie tried one of that thing EMP proof or EMT proof, yeah. you know, in case the Russians set off one of them bombs up there. Well, a, oh, I know about that. You know, I've got one automobile I kept that's got a real distributor with real points. doesn't have any oh. of that crazy electric. Yeah. <laughs> I got that old 73 TR6 sports car. I figure if the world goes to hell in a handbasket and they explode a whole bunch of those EMP bombs, I'll still be riding around in style, baby. <laughs> you bet. You got the TR6? <laughs> I got a TR6, 73 with the touring bars on it. I had a 68 GT6. I had a 73 TR6. What color was it, John? The TR6 was green. Yours is green, huh? Well, my first one, I got I got mine in September of 72, a couple of months after I got back from Vietnam. I decided if I didn't die over there, I was going to get me something that would kill me. 
and uh, I went down to Sepulveda Motors down in down in the valley in in L.A. there, and uh, and got me one a brand new one right off the line. It's chocolate brown. This is a '73 yeah. TR6 had 15 miles on it, and they threw in the luggage rack for free, and they already had the touring bars on it. But they didn't have yeah. anything there except for a white one that had the overdrive in it. So I had to pass How's on that one. How's the top holding up on it? Uh, it's due for a new top only because one of the rear windows has got a little crack in it because whoever had it before me didn't know how to fold the thing down properly before they put the yeah. tonneau cover on it. They just yeah. crammed it no. all down in there any old which way, and it cracked that window because it sat there with the top down for about 10 years. That thing's only got 52,000 miles. My first drive, I got the uh, I got the GT6 back. My dad bought it off of my bud buddy. Had my first cars, and uh, we fixed it up. It was yellow, but it had a six cylinder in it. It was a hard top. Yeah. And that thing, I mean, it, it you know it's not going to have one of Corvette or anything like that. But uh, I live in the hills of East Kentucky, and then we go we go we go across the mountains and get some booming, you know. That thing take a curve like nothing I've ever been on, including bicycles. I'll make you cry. I got me a, a, a what was it, a, a 67 GTO Gold Goat with a, a three-speed Hurst in it. And I bought mm-hmm. that off a used car lot in Texas. And I had that right up until I got my orders to go to Vietnam. And I drove it to San Francisco so I could enjoy the last part of it. And I took it into a, a, a used car lot there, and uh, some old boy says, "Well, I'll give you fifteen hundred for it." And I says, "Well, God, I owe twenty one hundred. And he says, "I'll give you fifteen hundred for it." I said, "Okay." So, first time I ever sold a car, still owed six hundred to the credit union down at, at Shepherd Air Force Base in Texas. I had to pay that out of my own pocket. Man, I'll tell you that thing yeah. that was went like a rape tape. I never had a car that was. Quite like that. You could sit there and just burn rubber all day long at first. I wish I'd give my eye teeth to have that. They're going for fifty thousand anymore today or more. Well, I'm I'm still gonna go get another one. I'm not worried about that. They can go up as much as they want to. I got this mm-hmm. my my first customer, I'm gonna win about two hundred thousand off of his million dollar claim, so he told me he'd buy me a, a, a 56. I said, shit, I don't want a 56 Chevy. I want that 67 GTO again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, send a letter to Chip. Well, I had a deal to him, man. What's that? Send a letter down to Chip Foose down there in L.A. and have him build you one. Well, I was looking at that. There's people that are putting together TR6s because there's so much demand for them. They'll sell one to you brand new, made out of mix mix match of parts from 73 to 75, pulling them out of junkyards all over California, uh, up here in British Columbia and Washington, on the West Coast, or some in Oregon. Well, they'll put them together for $40,000, and, and uh, you choose the color. It's all original parts. It's just from about, a, probably a homogenized... <laughs> Of about fifty or seventy-five vehicles, yep. they had a 
Spitfire all put back together again. I saw in their catalog for forty five thousand. Mm-hmm. Those things I mean power. That's a lot of money to put in a car, man, like that. Well, I know, but they they hold their resale value pretty good. I I picked mm-hmm. up this Triumph I got here right now, which is I uh, got in about 2012, I think it was, because I I'd never seen one for sale in so long. When I finally spotted this one, I talked the guy out of it for 7000 I put about 3000 back into it. And it still needs a paint job, but it isn't a disaster. It's a, a one-owner car. He bought it from her. She, I think she put it in the garage for the last five years. She owned it. He picked it up in about 2006, monkeyed around with it, screwed up the electrics, and then he sold it to me for yeah. seven thousand. Yeah, so I think he got it for about. <laughs> but they're in the newspaper around yeah. here. You still see them every once in a while, and I didn't see a mm-hmm. one for less than fifteen thousand. They're forty-five. Let's see Texas. Let's see Texas, and let's see Arizona, let's see Nevada. You're gonna find the best body. Oh yeah, they. they, they last a lot longer down there. They don't get rusted out. There's no salt on the roads or nothing. They, uh, you'll never see them left over in the northeast. They they get ate up back there. Yeah, but now you found them that way. I'd love to have me another GT6, so that'd be, that'd be the deal. I, I had an Austin Huey Sprite when I got my driver's license back in 67. You could get your driver's license at 15 in Virginia back then. Got your learner's permit at 14 and a half. In a permit, you could take your first test at 15. And I got that, and I, I bought that Austin Healy Sprite, put it back together again because it was broke. I got it real cheap for like 200 Put it all back together and got it running. And Of course, it has Lucas parts in it, so you, you never, ever have it all put back together and running. <laughs> About half the time, I never had any headlights, but that's okay. But, hey, Alex, what do you think about Jay's, the uh, new cabinet coming in with the new V8? Well, I'll tell you what, the new cabinet, new um, yeah, I'm impressed with it. Parts and parts and pieces of it, like Mattis and Walker and, and some <laughs> of that. Uh, I had a long discussion with some folks back in Washington, D.C. about this new uh, VA secretary, uh, Robert Shulkin. Everybody's worried that he's just on the medical side. He doesn't have any understanding of veterans' compensation and benefits and whatnot, and that he might not focus on that to to the extent that we worry about it, because we worry about that, I think, more than the medical in a lot of respects. Not that we're all not sicker than dogs and need the medical, but Shulkin is has his whole basis, his whole founding of what's going on in life is is relatively confined to the medical aspect. And as being in there where he has been for a year underneath McDonald, that's not a bad thing. It was just long enough for him to get a feel for the job, and the flip side of the coin is just to realize just how screwed up it was. Or is actually not was. Uh, I I got my deep throat and I can't talk about what his name is, but he, he's pretty close to the powers that be, and he's 
In fact, he's even talked to Shulkin, and Shulkin gets it. He understands. He gets He's probably the first guy to get into office in that place where he's not looking over his shoulder or looking for the nearest mirror to see if he looks good in the mirror. He's more interested in, in getting it fixed. And having been there for a year, everybody kind of got a little wigged out. I heard of a lot of people over there on the Facebook page called VA, VA is Lying. I've seen a lot of them all moaning and groaning about Trump and Shulkin not being a veteran, the first guy in, in the history of the Vets Administration that isn't a veteran. And, John, i got to tell you something. We've had a veteran in charge of the Veterans Administration before it was even the DVA, when it truly was the Veterans Administration, and when it was hooked on to the War Department, which became the Department of Defense, DOD. And yep. In all that yeah. time, I don't see where a veteran being head of the Veterans Administration has made it, made it any shinier for you, me, or anybody else. Can you Could you say that having a non-veteran in there is going to be worse? <laughs> you know, I'm, a, a, I'm an optimist. Boy's bomb's going to hit its target, or it's going to get close enough to do the job. I'm never ever one of those things that worried about the bomb's going to hit my guys. I have a positive mental attitude about life. Right, dig in. <laughs> Still alive. Mm, I'm, dig I, in. That's being positive. I think uh, that what we're going to see. Think, say again? The only thing we have in our benefit is time. We can wait and see what happens. I'm sure if uh, the guy doesn't do a good job, I'm sure Trump's got plan B. Well, I, you know what? He's impressed me because he started out right off the bat. He sharpened up his pencil there and started signing stuff. And he he's caught a few things before they went too far down the road. I I have to say, I think if if the immigrants are tearing Europe down, burning it, raping it, pillaging it. It'd be a fool. We'd be fools to bring that problem to our shores in those numbers. Absolutely. I'm not. Anti, I'm not anti anything. I'm just saying, as if if a certain select group of people misbehave, then why do I want them in my backyard, or why do I want to pay welfare? We got enough problems where our bridges are falling down that we don't need to be bringing people into our country and putting them on welfare. I just, I don't see that. Well, he's done something. I think we got enough problem with homeless veterans. We'd be better off spending money that we're shipping off for uh, whatever it is. If If we're buying the... Nigeria, a brand new dam, the dam off a river. I think maybe we ought to be taking that money and bringing it home here and helping homeless vets before we go out and start helping other people around the world. Solve your own problems in your own backyard before you start going out and handing out global aid to every Tom, Dick, and Harry you can find and letting them bring all their people to come live in your country. America's bent over backwards to help people. I mean, look at World War One. look at World War Two. England would be up Poop Creek with a broken paddle if, if we hadn't come to help them. So uh, 
they they don't owe us anything, certainly, but uh, people ought to respect the fact that we do end up being the nation's or the world's policemen. And and like Trump says, you know how you can only be so nice for so long before you got to fix your own fences and take care of business in your own backyard before you go out and start worrying about some other feller's backyard. I look at what he did there. He he just pulled the pulled the strings with the State Department and jerked their collar back and said, "Hey, you take that money that's supposed to go to Palestine that the, the ex-president just tried to shovel out the door the night before he left, and you bring that back. Not that check yet. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a with with a vision of how to fix this country. You don't give away the the hen house with all the hens and then wonder why you're starving because you don't got no eggs. <laughs> yeah. God. And I had to I had to state me a week on that one. I said he ought to go ahead and instruct Mr. Kerry and former President Obama to go ahead and head over to Palestine, pick that money up, and don't come back till we got it. <laughs> <laughs> Running short on pallets to put money on, we've been doing it for so long. So maybe it's time to change that plan. <laughs> Go to plan B, as you said. Yeah. Oh, well, I turn real. Everybody, all the people who get all upset, and the snowflakes and the millennials and all them people that are having a hard time with this, uh, Trump thing, you got to realize that uh, he has a vision. That's all. Maybe his vision is a little bit different from the other fellows. It'll last four years. Maybe it'll last eight years. But you can't expect America to keep doing something if they're doing it and it turns out to be wrong. You can't keep doing it wrong and expect it to get right somehow. I think everybody pretty fed up with way it's been done for a while and and that's why Trump got elected you know if if Hillary had a better vision for something I'm sure she'd be in the driver's seat today but hey, hey it's like a car does it appeal to you or it don't appeal to you <laughs> I mean, look like an Edsel or does it look like a Ferrari I mean what are you looking for hey, apparently well it's kind of like digging a hole. You know, you get the shovel, but you keep digging and digging and digging and digging and digging, and eventually you hit bedrock. Well, instead of trying to figure out something else to do, what to do is they get back up on the top and start digging again, trying to find another hole. They hit bedrock and start <laughs> digging again. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they have fired some uh, BA employees that were in the wrongdoing, so. You know, uh, give them a few more days. This is only first week, so a few more days and uh, or maybe a week or two and see the way Trump's moving. I mean, that's like uh, uh, in a week he does a year's worth of Obama's work, you know. Many, well, he's not doing eight that. years in about the first week. That seems <laughs> yeah, like. he's done more than that. I don't know but, about uh, what he's doing, but I know what he's undoing. Well, well it's uh, 
it, it's what America seems to want, or I should say the majority of America seems to want. I don't see a lot of people uh, complaining. Well, yes, a lot of people are complaining, but those are the same people that were complaining that back in November, the day after the election. They're going to probably complain and, and complain and complain. There's nothing you can do to make things right with those folks other than to get another Democrat in the, off, in the president's office. But I think think America is going to be pleasantly surprised in less than four years to see civility uh, increase, crime, and, and just riots and, and things of that nature, like what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, and, and uh, cops being killed, assassinated, whatever. I think you're going to see a lot less of that lawlessness during this administration, for if for no other reason than the fact that the states, well, let's just say for the hell of it, the states with governors who are Republican or lean Republican, or whose populace is rural and leans Republican, are going to support him, are going to uh, take <clears throat> take that to be a sign that maybe that's what should be the way things should be like that joe uh, sheriff joe arpaio down there in arizona i think you know he was the maverick for so many years with the way he approached uh correctional facilities and pink pajamas or pink suits for his, his prisoners and whatnot but he got the results and he, he sure did he, well, say Trump patterned his his attack plan on what Joe Arpaio was doing in Arizona. Jesus, I'm not I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take any more. This is how we're going to do it, and we're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it my way. And by God, those prisoners he has got the lowest recidivism rate of anybody uh, of the other 49 states. I guess they don't cotton to those little pink jumpsuits they're forced to wear. <laughs> No, we don't. Yeah, I don't nice know if that had anything to deal with it. It might have been a, a 365 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day for lunch on that year. <laughs> Prisoners, but you, you understand is that you you can co- you can brainwash anyone into c- civility and and, uh, and make them capable of being a citizen with that kind of treatment. But if you mollycoddle these guys and give them weightlifting rooms and color TV, why they can't wait to get out and get another gun and go out and jack another bank or a 7-Eleven. That's, that's just the, the nature of the beast. you gotta, you got to make, make them not want to come back. That That's the way you yep. do <laughs> corrections in my book. Now, I don't know, but Joe would have had a job in the Trump administration, but you know Joe, yeah, he's he's a, he's at the age now. Joe's getting pretty old. Oh yeah, he ain't no spring chicken, but uh, he's in a little bit illegal now as it is. With the, I guess he 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 abused some of his 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 customers down there, or they they say he did. I don't know. I guess the courts will straighten it out, but. I don't think anybody can complain about what he did for Arizona in terms of uh, making good prisoners 
model citizens again. I think they did a good job of that. I think he but did as well as could be expected with what he had to work with. He didn't have much help down there. Uh, he had a lot of opposition then. And uh, he had the right idea, in my opinion. Why in the world treat a criminal better than what you you know your own family's getting? A lot of these prisons, my God, they're like a four-star hotel. Well, it, it, don't get me started on that. I, no. I'm not big on that. <laughs> One thing I'm not big on is restoring their voting rights when they get back out. That's a big push right now. Well, my God, we got to make them inclusive. That way, they'll they'll blend back in with society. Give them their right to vote. And uh, what else are you going to do? Give them the right to have a gun again and a right to run for public office. I mean, when you break the law enough to become a felon as opposed to a gross misdemeanor. Uh, you, you've crossed over that little boundary because, well, a felony is murder. I mean, it's bank robbery. It's it's the big time, as opposed to some like shoplifting, things like that. That's it's a whole a different. That, uh, a civilian. You see a story that guy that uh, uh, shot that guy in Arizona on Interstate 10, and uh, the guy, the guy got in the wreck, and the wife got killed, and. The cop came over, and they, I guess they were shooting at people, so the cop came over to get him, and he started beating that cop up pretty bad. This passerby Oh, yeah, I did read about that. He went back and got his gun, yeah. And he shot the guy and killed him. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I didn't... Him day, he'd, been, he'd been in jail before. He, he, he'd lost everything. And uh, he got out, and he he did things right, and they would give him his gun for his back so they could carry his gun. And if he hadn't, you know, if he had been a model prisoner, that that would make cops probably die. Because he wouldn't have been. Well, well, in Missouri, I know you have to petition to the governor to allow you to own a, or buy a weapon again. And oh, if he, he will do it, I think, uh, I don't know, probably different states are different, but in Missouri, he... You have to petition the governor, and then he decides. I, I was sitting in a bar when I got back from Vietnam in Lancaster, California, pretty seedy bar. It was a, well, I'm not going to say the, the initials, but the first one was F and, or V, and there was another initial in the middle, and the last one was W. I went in there yeah. to apply to join. Of course, I wasn't allowed to join because they told me I'd never been in a war, so I couldn't join the outfit. But the funny thing was that sitting there on the bar counter was a basket with a whole bunch of what we'd probably call Saturday night specials, little nickel-plated belly guns like twenty twos and twenty fives, thirty two caliber stuff, Harry, Harrington and Richardson, that real cheap night specialist and a little sign sticking up out of there with a toothpick says any gun twenty dollars that's the way life was back in 72 and the crime wasn't near what it is now you didn't yeah. need a permit to buy the gun in fact if you had twenty dollars you could buy one they'd probably throw the bullets in for free right there in the bar. <laughs> but i don't know guns 
guns are not a problem in America. It's the people that are a problem. There's a certain element of society. You give them an ice pick, a gun, a two-by-four, a baseball bat, and they'll go out and create mayhem with it. Fortunately, they're in the minority. But you sprinkle some drugs into that, a few other things, and a little bit a little bit too much spare time and welfare on your hands, and, and next thing you know is you've got a, a criminal element that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we got to gotta counteract that attitude in America. Thank God that they don't all get hired by the VA. I noticed quite a few of them are. They yeah, hired two of them down there in, in Puerto Rico this week. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> well, there's... There's some. That's me. Why didn't that happen under McDonald? Why didn't that happen under uh, Shinseki? What, what is going on that Trump could come that into office? Under, and that didn't happen under nobody. McDonald says, "I can't fire him. The union won't let me." And this and that and the other thing twice. Well, somebody let him. Who's that? There was no sec- There was no secretary to let him. He's not been confirmed yet. They don't have a secretary just yet. Somebody fired him. <laughs> well, they said it was Trump. I don't know. But anyway, it's a good thing they're gone. Let's hope that this this uh, trend of of monitoring them and uh, being sure they're doing the right and proper thing continues, and we what, get rid of some of these shysters. It's all the whistleblowers when they, they intimidate whistleblowers on a case or something. Is that what happened? I don't know what happened. I think something did. Well, every time one of them blowers coughs up some information, they're the first person to lose their job, and the guy they blew the whistle on gets a promotion or gets shipped to Manila or Montana. That's, Ain't that the truth? Hey, you well, screw that... up. It's up or out, but it's never get fired. Yeah. That that doctor that it's blew that doctor blew the whistle in Arizona. He got fired, didn't he? I think most you know, of your whistleblowers did get bit. I think he got so much static after doing it. He finally threw his hands up and left. They had him yeah. downstairs emptying trash cans out instead of doing surgery. I mean, how 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 can you take that if you if you're a physician, you want to treat your patients? You don't want to sit in an office and count paper clips. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hopefully, well, I think that hopefully they can signal loud and clear. Well, well what I'm hearing, what's going to happen with the claims process? Is there going to be any improvement there? That's what I'm watching for. Just getting uh, ready to. to that. I, I talked with quite a few veterans law judges in the BVA back there. They're friends of, of mine, and uh, they come to those NOVA conventions, and they all walk up, and they say, look at my name tag, and they say, you're asked non? Get the f*** out of here. <laughs> I, read, I read your blog all the time, and I'm looking at his badge. It says, Board of Veterans Appeals, Veterans Law Judge on it. I went, Dang, a veteran's law judge reads my blog? Oh, my God, what's the world coming to? He he represents about 35 of the 79 law judges back there, and they're all praying 
that they get this guy, uh, James Ridgeway. He's been in the hierarchy under beneath everybody, and he's kind of been running the compensation and pension desk, which is the the one that you go to for extra schedule or ratings and stuff. And he he's the only guy that knows what's going on. The one that was there before him was Tom Murphy. And when uh, Allison Hickey hit the road, he moved into her slot as an acting undersecretary of uh, ben- veterans benefits. Uh, he's the equivalent of what Shulkin is over at VHA in the medical side. Because you've got to think of the Veterans Administration as a fork. It's half medical and half compensation and benefits. And when Hickey hit the dirty road and and, and bailed out of there with the writing on the wall, uh, Ridgeway moved up into uh, Thomas Murphy's slot. And Tom, Tom doesn't have, well... You know, if you can't say anything nice about a guy, I guess you shouldn't just say anything at all. Tom just isn't undersecretary for benefits material. In my mind, he never was a material for any job at the Veterans Administration. I don't think I've ever met a guy that hates veterans as much as he does, and he is one. That's what's really weird. But Ridgeway needs to get promoted up to be in charge of the Veterans uh, or the Board of Veterans Appeals because he can get in there. And, and affect a change because things are going to have to change. You know that as well as I do. Nobody can wait four years for a, uh, an appeal to be decided. That's insane. I, you can die in that time. You might as, might as well tell a vet to just go out and die. He doesn't have any money. He can't pay a rent. He's going to become homeless. Uh, he can't live off Social Security and with a wife and a kid or something like that. And he, <clears throat> The only way to get these appeals moving like regular would put some x lax into it is to hire more veterans law judges they got 79 judges and the buddies that i got back there at the bva said you know you can't get a grasp of a guy's claim quickly enough before they want you to make a decision on it and under those circumstances a, a hasty decision is like the old adage you know Haste makes waste. In this case, it just it, if the vet has enough common sense or a, a good legal team, he, he moves it on up to the Court of Veterans' Appeals. And we're seeing them overturn 68% of everything that arrives there. It means 68% of what VA does is wrong. And they think it's 98% correct, but... That's based on if nobody appeals a, a something that's wrong, then it doesn't show up as being wrong. If you if you don't appeal it, then they're right, regardless of what the decision was. Uh, you're seeing 85% get denied at, at the regional office level. You're seeing 22% of those guys that go to the BVA win, and you're seeing 68% that go on to the Court of Veterans' Appeals win. It, it shows exactly what the problem is, but it's not the veterans' law judge's fault for having to rush through it. It's a taskmaster standing there trying to make you recite multiplication tables as fast as you can without using any paper to write it down and, and do the multiplication. Eventually, you're going to start making errors because you can't crank out 
two decisions a day. It can't be done. They're having a hard enough time cranking one out and taking some of the work home with them at night. I don't know how they can crank one out. My God, some of these files are four or five reams paper thick or thicker. You well, can't read that much in a day. 70, there's basically about 185 days of work a year, Monday through Friday, that isn't Independence Day or Martin Luther King Day or All Saints Day or some national holiday like Christmas, Thanksgiving, et cetera. And so you got 185 days times 79 judges cranking out 1.2 claims a day five days a week and you can see that the the most the absolute most that they can crank out in a production schedule if they've got their nose to the grindstone is something along the lines of like 28,000 claims a year or something if they're lucky if if some of them are really easy does he get a flag and then a coffin and 250 bucks to get buried yes Boom, you know, hey, that took 30 minutes, but there's a more complicated one that's going to take two days, maybe three. And and he doesn't have the time to devote three days to it because he has to has that production schedule that he has to crank out. So that's when the errors kick in. Once the errors, they, I can see he, that's when it's easier to say, I, I have no recourse but to deny this. Right. If there's any and doubt in his mind, they're going to <laughs> make the accident and get it right. But they remand a bunch of stuff now, and people are mo- veterans are moaning and groaning about all these remands. And there's a simple reason for it. When Allison Hickey fired up this paper thing when she was tasked with making the VBMS effective at all 56 regional offices, plugging it in, getting all the bugs out of the system, coming up with a fully developed claim, and coming out with a 125-day decision based on all those DBQs and all that evidence it, it with 98% accuracy. She couldn't produce it. it. It couldn't be done. The only way to do it is the same problem they're having up there at the BVA. Just deny it. The hell with it. And if it's you know, if the if it's right or it should have been granted and you deny it, don't worry about it. The BVA will sort it out. Well, but these veterans law judges are getting a little bit sick and tired of having all these appeals come up to them that aren't perfected. When you certify a claim, which is what really holds it up in a lot of instances at the regional office, you make sure that all the legal things were accomplished properly, the DRO review, DRO hearing, everything is all in order. The C file is complete and ready to go back to D.C. for the appeal. And the last thing you do is you sign what's called a VA-8, the Form 8. Not a Form 9, but the VA fills out the Form 8 and puts it on the top of the pile of stuff, and it says, I certify this claim is complete. Everything has been done according to Hoyle and it's ready for an appeal and a decision at the BVA. So what happens? It arrives at the BVA, and let's say it's for TDIU, and the guy says, well, you know, I haven't worked in all this time. The VA is supposed to go get your Social Security records. 
and and associate them with your C file to make sure you are unemployed if you're going for TDIU. They don't, but they're required to by law, but they don't. They forget to. They just never got around to it. Somebody dropped the ball, but they signed the, the VA-8, and off it goes to D.C. The very first thing is the veterans law judge's staff attorney working for him looks at him and he says, well, where the hell's the SSA records? Uh, well, hey, we win. And they boot that thing into a remand faster than you can shake a stick. And it just goes right back to the regional office. So anything that you might have gained by having this fully developed claim system in 125 days, all that just flew out the window because there goes a year on that remand. It gets back to the RO. They have to go out and get a new C&P. They have to get the Social Security records. It'll be a year before it gets back to the BVA. So your four-year appeal just turned into five right off the bat. Hey, Alex, uh, wouldn't that Form 8 be in your claims folder? Yes, sir, it will be. I've got one on my website, what they look like. I'll have to look that up. I could send it. I don't think there is one in mine. Well, boy, if there isn't, then there's something radically wrong and and stealing (laughs) papers out of your you ever go to appeal in D.C., there's got to be a Form 8 in there. Back in the old days, it was a 1-8, the way they used to call a VA-9 a, a 1-9. But that changed, I think, in what, 95, 96, when they went to the a change from the three-judge panel to a single judge being able to hear your claim in D.C. at the BVA. Now, if there is no origin- Form 8, what do you do? Well, then you can you can say that your claims file's been compromised, and if it's been compromised, all of it's in error, not just one thing. That's called the presumption of regularity. It's presumed that your C file is complete if you have one, and that every document that you've ever mailed in and every document the VA has ever created is in your C file. If there's a document that's in there that or isn't in there that should be in there, that means Somebody tampered with it. But my point, when you fill out a VA-8 and put it on the top of the claims file and send the whole thing back to D.C., it's the regional office saying that your claim is, claims file is complete, everything is legal and hunky-dory. If, if they find one error with it back at the BVA, the first thing I said is they they're going to remand that thing, and they're doing it. They're so pissed off at the regional offices for shoveling everything to them, every last decision that they don't want to make, that they don't want a black mark on their record for giving some guy a Q claim all the way back to 1953. They don't, they can't see doing it. They won't do it. It's almost as if they don't have the authority to do it or somebody saying, no way. You send that to appeal first because <clears throat> we don't want that black mark on our record back here at the regional office. That that'll cost us. That'll screw up the VA budget if we have to pay that guy. So a lot of claims uh, appealed simply because the v- regional offices refused to adjudicate them because they're just too sensitive, too too, too expensive. Oh Lord. 
That's why these claims keep running up and down. Uh, You know, I was speaking to a a lady there at the Appeals Management Center, Mm -hmm. and uh, she told me, we were talking about uh, how many times can a claim be bounced up and back and up and back and then on up and then back down? She said, told me she'd seen claims come through there at the Pills Management Center more than 15 times. Don't doubt now, there's it. there's something wrong with that picture. <laughs> well, there's... and each one of those represents a year. In essence, unless you're lying on your deathbed someplace or living underneath an overpass, uh, you know, changing your zip code weekly, why, <clears throat> they they tend to just drag their heels on those remodel, or the remands. Oh, uh, yes, they do. Unfortunate. Uh, it's... Uh, you know, once they get a, a claims folder twisted around or shuffled up, it has no option but to bounce up and down because nobody's going to touch it. So what do they do? They move it, remand it. It'll go next time. It, it, it can go to a judge. I've had judges remand mine. <laughs> and so... Once a claims folder is compromised, you better stop and get it uncompromised. There's got to be a way to do it. You hold the process right then and there and say, wait a minute, this isn't right. It's incomplete. This is missing. That's missing. I've got John Q. Public stuff mixed in here with my stuff. Yeah, Uh, yeah. You know, uh, well, maybe the raider was looking at his his rating sheet and not mine, and didn't look at the name and the social security number, <laughs> and decided that the claim was denied based on somebody else's record. You don't know what that raider was thinking when he made the. Oh my God! They don't go into a whole big discussion about it. They just said a little little thing there with a thumbs up, thumbs down, and here's why. But they don't get into the specifics of it. Uh, I think it, you're going well, to like back at the BVA. Here's the biggest problem, as I said, you got 79 judges, and, and that's where the the funnel tightens down, and you, the bottleneck starts. Yeah. The only way to break this logjam, well, there's several different ways. And <clears throat> my buddy, one of my buddies, is a veteran law judge. He says. Uh, the way to do it is just do it like the IRS, and that is if you get rid of the backlog by granting. And you're going to let a few fish get through the net that probably weren't supposed to, but you're going to get rid of the backlog. And the backlog right now is, I, I last time I checked, it was in excess of 100,000 claims on appeal waiting. That's why you've got this in, in a incomprehensible number of years waiting to get your docket. Yeah. Four years at least, and by 2020, it's going to be six years, if, unless somebody does something. And 
there's a, a whole bunch of different ways everybody wants to fix it. Some people want to have a fully developed appeal system where you get to go up to appeal, but you can't introduce any more evidence. There's no remands, and you just get an up or down decision in 30 days. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you brought just developed some new evidence that you're going to fix it with on appeal after four years of waiting, and some guy says, well, no, we're going to start doing it this way, and we're just going to make an up-and-down decision. So if you want to file that new evidence, you go back and file a new claim and start over again. So, shoot, you could lose 10 years' worth of back pay, retro pay, because you're going to lose your appeal because you can't put new evidence in. And the way it stands right now, when I have guys, and I've got a couple that I've represented, uh, ghosted their claims, and now I can legally be their rep on hepatitis C, they're never going to grant you hepatitis C for a jet gun at the regional level. You can have six letters. One of them could be from Jesus H. Christ himself saying, I was with him when he got shot. I saw the transfusion. It was real dirty. And, yeah, yeah, he had one, and trust me, and, and I certify that the above is true and correct, to the best of my knowledge and belief, signed Jesus H. Christ. You can have that for a nexus letter, and you're still going to lose at the regional office level. Now, you could take that letter and submit it up at the Board of Veterans' Appeals as brand-new evidence that you hold in your back pocket like an ace in your whole card, and you put that down at the Board of Veterans' Appeals right now, and the VA doesn't have time to go out and get an independent medical opinion uh, or, excuse me, an independent medical examination and have one of their doctors do a, a, a another number on you with a bad nexus and deny you. They don't have time to go after that. They've presented their case. They've denied it. If you could do something at the Board of Veterans' Appeals in front of that veteran's law judge, and there's two things you can do, like I said, you can introduce a new nexus letter there that exonerates you or says, yeah, that's exactly what's wrong with him, and it occurred from the end of a jet gun, and that's all you got to have to see. And you sign something that's called a waiver of review in the first instance, which they've almost instituted as a law. But you fill out those two little obligations and go to that judge and put it down in front of him, he'll, he'll grant it in a heartbeat. Because he's got to crank out 1.1 decisions every day. This becomes an easy one. Got Nexus? Great. And you want me to look at it? You don't want me to remand it back to the board, uh, back to your regional office so that they can make another decision on Jesus' uh, uh, Nexus letter? Okay, I'll make the decision right now. I'm going to grant your claim because it's easier to grant a claim than it is to remand it and see it come back on my desk here in another year. I got, I'm up to my eyeballs in remands coming back to me. I don't need any more. If I can, if I can grant it or deny a claim today on the evidence, I'm going to do it. And if you've got some new evidence and you bring it to me, I'll grant. And that's how we're winning these claims on appeal because the VA does not show back up to defend it. You you lose at the regional office, you go to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, and you win at the Board of Veterans' Appeals because you present new material evidence that, that proves your side of the, of the argument. VA isn't going to show up and say, but, Your Honor, we got another examiner, and this is what he said. You, 
it's less likely than more likely that it was caused by the jet gun, and here's why. They don't show up to do that. And so the, the veterans law judge gets to use the old benefit of the doubt. Well, he's got, you know, he's here and he's got a re, he's got a, <clears throat> a viable nexus letter and it fits the bill for how a nexus letter is supposed to be written. He wins. Next. That's easy. That's easy law, easy justice, and it, it's at least it's real justice and not a, a you know, get, just getting a slam, bam, what do you think, at the regional office. Those guys are trying to do 20 claims a day. And you know 19 of them are probably going to be wrong or the guy didn't read down deep enough in the C file. He just tried to top sheet the C file, read about the first 10 sheets, nah, denied, doop, doop, next. They're not doing anything. They're not, they're not using their noggins to de- to grant or deny. They just have a, a formula, an M21 manual, uh, how to deny. It, you could you could be have a perfectly viable claim. You could have an arm shot off in Iraqistan and go in there and they'll accidentally deny you because they didn't look deep enough in your folder and see your purple heart or something. Well, oh, that, after the war, it was an intercurrent. He was in an automobile accident or something, but he didn't. I don't see anything in here that shows he lost an arm in Iraq. Where do you where do you get that? Yeah, well, top cheating. I think it, top cheating is killing the veterans for one thing, and uh, like you say, uh, once once their claim files get compromised, it takes takes forever to get it squared back away where it ought to be, and then getting it back up to the judges or getting it somewhere where they can make a damn decision. Everybody's afraid to touch them when they get a little bit of retro on them. Well, that's exactly right. That that retro is what causes 99% of your problems, and those earlier effective dates that go back 10, 20 years or 40 or whatever. But uh, the retros are actually the... The uh, uh, retro, uh, a large amount of retros, is actually the fault of the VAs. Well, of course it is. And I've, what I see from what I've been doing and working with on the, on some of my vets, some of them, I've got one from World War II. He, <laughs> the guy went ashore at Guadalcanal, second wave, but it, after the they took the island. He got volunteered accidentally for uh, graves and registration. So oh. now all of a sudden he isn't an infantryman. He's running around with a, a rucksack picking up feet with, and boots with feet still in them and hands and heads with bodies with no heads and heads with no bodies. And he, he did that at Guadalcanal for like two or three months. And then... Uh, showed up in another island and then went in on the first wave at Okinawa on the north side of the island where it was pretty bloody. Uh, same thing. After they finally got a control of the island, boom, back on to graves and registration. And this guy come down with a little bit of PTSD, and I reckon I understand why. Well, you know, how many hands... Oh, God, how many boots can you pick up with a foot still in them without the, about the 50th one kind of 
snapping that little rubber band upstairs in your noggin. And he kept going to the VA and saying, you know, I got an anxious disorder. I got a, I, so I'm not right upstairs here. You know, I, I got a, I sleep on the floor under my bed. I, I you know, I, I'm not right. I, I, something wrong with me. I got shell shock or I got something. And they kept saying, no, no, you're fine. No, you don't have anything wrong with you. And besides that, you were a machine shop guy. You, all you did was cut parts uh, for machines. You you weren't in the, out in the field or an infantryman. He goes, what the hell are you talking about? I was, man, I was infantryman. You know, well, Marine. He wasn't called an 11 Bravo, but it's the same basic thing. He had a rifle. He had a bunch of hand grenades and a and a 60-pound backpack and and then they dumped them out of those LSTs, and they ran ashore, and they took the island, and they killed a bunch of people. And then all of a sudden, like I said, he's doing graves registration for two, three months after that on every one of these islands he was on, and uh, New Georgia too. So he fought them. Probably he couldn't get the VSOs to file it for him, so he never actually even got in there and put in a claim for. Uh, nervous disorder uh, or whatever it was. He finally filed for it in 2000, and they denied him instantly. He said he wasn't in a combat zone, never was never in combat with the enemy because they were looking at this sheet that is kind of like a training sheet. What what kind of training did you get while you were in the military? Well, I'm a machine shop technician, and, and I, he cuts parts and templates and makes little parts, parts and pieces to repair motors and engines. But if you look at his, what passed for a Marine DD-214 in 1945 on the back side, it says, Jobs is Graves Registration. Well, we all know what Graves Registration is. It's, it's the, the body man, the meat wagon guy that runs around and shovels all the pieces into a wheelbarrow takes him to the morgue. And uh, finally, his wife, or excuse me, his daughter, was a friend of my wife's, and she came to me and she said, well, you're doing this VA stuff. What am I doing wrong? And I said, well, you, you know that he was in combat. Oh, yeah, we know he was in combat. Hell, we even have a news clipping from the Chicago Tribune Shows him sitting on the beach at Okinawa with all of his buddies out there suntanning and sucking down, you know, cocktails and stuff, getting a tan. Well, of course he was in combat, and he showed she showed me all of his, like the equivalent of the 214 showing Graves registration. So finally, I said, "You go down there to the regional office, fly back to Chicago, go in there with your dad at about." 0800 on Monday morning, yeah, and go in there and, and push him in in his wheelchair and say, I want to talk to the regional director. And, and you give him a little piece of your mind and ask him why in the Sam Hill he ain't rated for PTSD. Well, she did that right to the T, and she was sitting there holding Channel 7 eyewitness news folder in her other hand. She says, we're going over to 4th Avenue when we leave here because the guy at CBS wants to talk to us. Regional, <laughs> regional director blew coffee through his nose when he heard that. And, and he says, well, not so fast here. Hold on a second. Wait, 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 wait. I think we can work this out. And Well, 
that was December 10th. On December 26th, he, uh, the first day after, first Monday after Christmas or whatever it was, he had himself a shiny new 30% PTSD rating. It was a low ball, sure, but at least it's it got him in his foot in the door finally. And all of a sudden, it's, oh, yeah, he was in combat. But, you know, those Marines, Gerald, they don't get a medal like you do for uh, uh, being an infantryman in the Army, like a, a, a combat infantryman's badge. They don't yeah. get that in the Marines. You know, you, you just get an attaboy and, and form up for the chow line. Well, they've got what's called the Combat Action Ribbon, C-A-R now, for Marines. I think they started that in 61. But they made it retroactive all the way back to 41, I believe it was, or 42. And oh, so you're a Marine. You're eligible for that ribbon, whether you know it or not. So first thing I did is I tackled my congressman. I said, hey, i got another guy that needs some medals. <laughs> well, they're going to give him the medals, but I, I'm going to use that as a leverage to get him up to 50%, 70% or whatever. He's World War II. The guy's 94 years old this year, and he's finally getting his, his PTSD rating. It's a wonder it, he was able to survive this long. You know what? That has to be. He had to have some oracious uh, nightmares. He needs a medal for the weight oh. that long is what he Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I I'm going to get the comments. guy that did that, too. Uh, he, um, in Vietnam, he, uh, they put him together in that body parts. and uh, The screaming eagles. <laughs> and... Uh, that's what he done, and he said it was horrible. Well, God, I imagine it was. I, you know, people seem to think everything's all nice and clean these days, and everybody gets put in a body bag, and they zip it up, and there's no smell associated with it. Uh, well, don't work that. I was way. up in Laos. Tell you how this works. <laughs> I was up in Laos. Uh, the law was that if uh, the Hmong, we call them Mayo or Hmong, tribesmen who were fighting the Patai Lao, their compact with, with them was, we'll fight for you, you feed us and you pay us, make sure our families on top of those mountaintops around the country get their rice and some pigs and whatnot, and we'll fight for you. But if we get killed, you got to take us back to our village for burial. And they're real big on that burial business. If you don't get buried, you got a ghost, and the ghost roams the earth for the rest of its life. So they want to put you in the ground. They don't care if it's one day, ten days, or thirty days. It isn't that strict. But you got to get the body back, and you got to have the big party and bury him. You have to go through that procedure. So... It's, we had, you can imagine how it takes, if you fly from here to Washington, D.C., you got to stop in Chicago. If you're in L.A. and you fly into D.C., well, you got to stop in Dallas. It, you can't get there from here. So they'd transport them bodies from wherever they got killed someplace, and they'd move them to another landing zone. And then the next aircraft come through that was empty. Well, they'd throw them on that aircraft, and they'd fly them back down to, to the head place where we were, Long Chien. Well, some of those guys are getting pretty aromatic by the time they got down there after a week. Pretty pretty strong smell. 
And we always carried a little jar of Vicks VapoRub uh, because if you dip into Avgas or something like that, uh, gasoline kerosene or something, with a handkerchief and put it underneath your nose to hide that smell of death, it gives you a headache after a while. But you can take that Vicks VapoRub and just put a little dab of it underneath one nostril, and it, that's all you smell. You don't smell that funky dead smell. And they'd wrap them up in silk uh, silk uh, parachutes that we used to drop supplies in, uh, wrap them up in those parachutes. And that didn't trap that smell at all. There weren't no body bags or any of that stuff. And I'll tell you, Gerald, you've become inured to death. I don't know when it happens. I was there two years, but all of a sudden one day it just bothered me anymore. I didn't throw up when I saw something dead. I didn't, it didn't, something snapped inside of me, and it didn't bother me anymore. And I can remember in, in September 1970 sitting on some bodies wrapped up in those parachutes eating my lunch because I didn't feel like sitting on a stump and getting some red ants on me. Uh, you know, I, I can't even conceive of sitting on a dead human being, but I did. And I, I'm not proud of it or anything, mind you, but there's something snaps in you, and I can understand perfectly what would happen to a guy in graves and registration after about 50 or 500 or 5,000 bodies. Yeah. Picking them up. Life gets real cheap when, when things like that happen. And uh, you do yeah, things that, you probably wouldn't normally ain't, do. Ain't nothing glorious or more. That's no, I don't sure. know whoever it was. Is, boy, I wish I could have served in a time of war, man. I, oh, I, I would God. really go to war so I could get some medals. You people don't understand Anybody in their right mind wouldn't want to go fight in a war. After they do it, they come away from it, and they say, Jesus, <laughs> I'll never wish for that again. <laughs> no. There's nothing glorious about war. <clears throat> nothing. Redeeming features about it. So you're going to watch change at the VA is going to be either one of two things. They're going to just open the floodgates and, and approve a lot of claims unless they're just absolutely a joke. Or B, they're going to hire a bunch more judges. And I guess there's option C, and that is to hire 3M or a bunch of uh, administrative law judges that are retired from doing Social Security work and hire them on a temporary basis to go through this and get rid of the backlog. Not going to work. Well, I don't think they can catch up. We have Not going to work. VA doesn't want to relinquish. The VA doesn't want to relinquish their right to adjudicate these claims, but they're backing up so fast they'll never get them done. I mean, a judge could work out it 20 years. It's like a Sisyphean labor of love. It's never going to make any difference. You're just going to be shoveling rocks, and after 20 years, you're going to turn around, and the pile of rocks had not gone down at all. It's not gone. It's, it hasn't even diminished. We've been at war since 19, well, continuously since 2001. 
uh, and a lot of people died and got hurt, but more people got hurt and are still alive. It's almost better in VA's eyes if they went ahead and died. They just pay them their 125,000 servicemen's group life insurance policy, put their wives on DIC for $1,500 a month, and away you go. It, it's far more expensive to have a guy that's 100% disabled with four kids and a wife, and he's 26 years old, and you're going to be coughing up $40,000 a year or more to this guy for the next 40 years or 60 years or whatever. There's no money in the budget. You can't do it. Right now, VA's budget is is basically 70% compensation and 30% medical. You'd think it would be higher on the medical after that was out there in Denver with that hospital, but that's not the way it is. They're spending it all on benefits, and they're barely holding their head above water doing that. Because if everybody got granted their claim that earned it or deserves it, why, they'd be spending 100% of their money on claims, and, and there wouldn't be any money for medical. The VA has, has done a really good job of, of preventing guys from getting service-connected. In most cases, an average of 12 years, if you started in Let's just say you started in 2000 to get your claim approved. By 2010, you might have won something, but it was 30%. But you really deserved 60. So about 2016, you finally fought your way up to 60 or TDIU. You spent 16 years getting where you were supposed to do. They're still paying you the amount of money, but they held you up getting there for 16 years. They, they saved a little bit of money on paper. But when you count up how many guys it took to deny you, they spent a million dollars keeping you from getting to 50000 basically. It, it, it doesn't pencil out. They're spending more money causing these denials, holding up justice, than they would if they just opened up the floodgates and said, you, your service connected, you, your service connected, you, you're not, yeah. you're, a, you're a gold brick. I agree, but, but at the rate they're going, Alex, if they keep using the law judges, they're going to have to hire at least 2,500 more law judges even to have a, a, a chance of, of catching up on the backlog, but I don't believe they're really serious about catching up on the backlog. Now that that could change. Um, well, but I think they said by 2026, it, it, it's kind of like it's going to break the bank. It, it, it's going to get to unmanageable, <clears throat> where there's a two million claims a, a, a year coming in the front door. They're adjudicating 850,000 of them. They're appealing 40, 50, 60,000 of them up to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, and the backlog of the Board of Veterans' Appeals is 10 years. You can't have that. The nation, the veterans, won't have that. You won't get anybody to sign up for the military if everybody is saying, Bob, you know, don't let your kids sign up to go in the military. I'm taking me 26 years to get my benefits. And even yeah. then, they're all screwed. Why would you want to go 
get a job where you could get killed or get maimed and then have to fight for the rest of your life just to get what you're due and owed. It, it's... <laughs> that's, that's true. Washington, you know. people are going to look at how we treat veterans today, and that's going to have a big bearing on whether they feel motivated to serve their country. <laughs> they've got a plan. Hey, you know, that they, they've got a plan. Go ahead, John. Yeah. They've got a plan, too, because when they get these judges in, they get these claims caught up, or things when they get it corrected. Um, what they're going to run into is once they get the claims backlog caught up, then they're going to have an overabundance of employees. And uh, one thing that's holding back is the OPM's got a program that's called Temporary Not to Exceed. And they hire a lot of employees that way to fill jobs for, like, an immediate need. But the need won't be there in a couple of years. So they put them on a year-to-year contract. So in order to get judges in that type of system, I don't know if they would be effective or not. You know, because some of these judges, they want retirement and benefits, so that they might have a, a little bit of a problem hiring them. Well, John, if you tried to hire enough veterans law judges to fix this problem, you hire them for 20 years. You don't hire them and say, okay, when it's all done, you know, you hit the road, Jack. It doesn't work like that. It's a government job. 20 years, golden parachute and a wristwatch. So if you hire enough judges to make this thing fly, and get rid of the backlog, even if you did, even if you did, and then had an attrition rate of retirement so it would work out that you'd get rid of the excess, the, what's going to happen is that each one of those judges make it $174,000 a year. You just There goes all the money that you need to pay the veterans' claims out. It's all going to be spent on the judges' salaries before there's, and there won't be any money left to write the compensation checks, unless Congress is willing to up the budget for the VA about another thirty billion dollars. That's the only thing that's going to fix it. You're just not going to get them to cough up thirty billion. It ain't going to happen. So I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I, I, I'm interested, and I'm glad that Trump is there because. Uh, Trump's always got a plan. He'll figure this thing out. Look, at he's he's going to turn that eight uh, that eight hundred eight two seven one thousand telephone number for the VA. He's going to reroute that up to the White House switchboard, and somebody's going to answer it every time somebody calls. That's what he said. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for that phone number, Alex. You ever get it? Let me know. I will, Gerald, I will publish it on my site, and I will call you up personally and give it to okay. you. Okay. By golly, yeah, I'm on a call. He's a, a Bob McDonald handing out his phone number, or Allison. <laughs> <laughs> call me Bob. <laughs> Old Bob Shulkin's going to be handing out his cell phone number. I just, I don't see that. Maybe he'll have some a legal administrative assistant to to carry the water for him on that. But if Trump does what he says he's going to do, boy, we are in high cotton. Uh, I'll just hold my breath and, and, and excuse me, I, I'm not going to hold my breath, but I, I'm going to wait and see what develops. Everybody's moaning and groaning about how he's screwing everything up. He's only been in office about five, six days. <laughs> the week, one of the days was the day he became the president. 
And that was only half because it started at 12 noon. I believe in giving this guy 100 days at least to see what <laughs> color, the, uh, how much mustard he's going to put on the hot dog. Well, I, I'm, I'm uh, really impressed with what he's got done so far. And, and uh, I hope he continues on at the same speed he's doing now. Well, then the best we all hope. might have a chance. <laughs> we all, I think we all hope for the best for our president. I, I, I can't imagine anyone who's an American citizen that would pray for him to screw up or for him to run the United States into the ground. It does, it does, it doesn't pencil out. Why? If you're an American, you should be proud of your country. You shouldn't be running it down and complaining about some president's only been in office six days. Who in America would wish that we aren't number one? Who would wish for us to be number 10 or a banana (laughs) republic instead of the world leader of democracy? Who would wish for that for their country? It defies the imagination. It leaves me scratching my head why anybody would want America to be less than number one or seventh for anything. Number one. It's like the graveyard. People are dying to get into America. Yeah. And it's the land of opportunity still. If Trump can make it better, so much the better. I, all I'm worried about is two things, veterans and the Second Amendment. As long as you don't trample on either one of those, then you're okay in my book. Yeah, let and, me know. Uh, that you know, it's simple. I'm not a, a button, an issue voter that you got to press all these buttons to get me to be on your side. I got two simple little litmus tests, and if you pass those two tests, we're good to go, dude. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh... Anything with veterans yet, other than to fire a couple of a chunk of dead wood that should have been fired a long time ago, but that's okay. You know, Rome wasn't built in the day. He's probably still tuning up the fiddle. Give him time. Yeah, he'll he just do a lot. I, I think he's he couldn't do any worse than what I've seen in all my history with the Veterans Administration. It I don't think anybody could do any worse. Oh, I'm I'm happy as a clam at high tide. I'm. I'm I'm the picture of, of optimism. You look up optimism in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and there's a picture of me there. Oh, optimism. Optinod. <laughs> well, you know, I don't get mad. I get even. Um, the city of Miami has... Get this out. The city of Miami has just relinquished its what he called his status as a uh, what's in what's in cities in Harbor? Yeah, they just gave that up. Oh, <laughs> city of Miami. City. <laughs> well, they didn't want to lose their VA fund. I mean, the government funding or them well, grants or whatever they get from the government. You know, everybody ought to just calm down and, and take a deep breath, pop, pop a, a 
top on a beer and, and, and sit back and just wait and bide their time. There'll be plenty of time to pitch a bitch. There'll be plenty of time to complain. But right now, the, the time is to just do the, the old wait and see. It's time to cut bait. It ain't time to go fishing yet. Well, and, uh, I'll be sharpening my hook. Well, I'm standing here looking out the window, and it's blacker than a sack of cats out there, and I haven't even finished the... I haven't even fed the horses yet. What time is it? <laughs> well, what... No wonder. We're we're running a little late on our schedule here today, Gerald. Well, what happened here? Well, we haven't even gotten to world peace yet today. You you started late, Alex. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Discuss how how to... Institute world peace. Let's try to make America more peaceful for the for the next hundred days and see what happens. I I have I have the ultimate faith that the things are going to be better the next time we talk. I believe so. Every day seems to be improving anyway. Uh, okay, I think we can go ahead and shut this down. You got a good flashlight, Alex? <laughs> well, I got me an EMP car. That's all I'm worried about at this oh, stage that, of the game. You got her covered, then. I got two horses, so I'm but, really covered. Oh, you really are covered, yeah. Man, you, you, can't, you can't knock a horse out with an EMP bomb. <laughs> you ain't going to hurt a horse. Let yeah, you drop it on it. Look, <laughs> three vehicles, it'll run during a nuclear war. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, for the honor and the pleasure and the privilege of being able to talk to all your vast number of people on Had It and my vast number of people on Ask Nod, and hopefully maybe some of the folks at the VA is lying outfit got a chance to hear about it. Now, listen, I have high hopes for America, and I have high hopes for veterans. And, and until somebody tells me something different, that's what I'm going to go with. Well, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a plan. Based on what we have for knowledge at this moment, it would be foolish to sit around and fret and stew and, and, and get in a high dudgeon and a big dither about it because Nobody knows anything yet. That's right. Only thing I'm yeah. gonna worry about is what I'm gonna have for supper. What? <laughs> <laughs> rest well, I haven't even got that far yet. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming on, Alex. We really appreciate it. Well, and, uh, thank you for inviting. It's a pleasure every time I show up. Well, well, it is. And and uh, by golly, we'll we'll talk to you next time. Roger that. Keep your powder dry, Gerald. uh, You too. And uh, you have a good evening. Watch those horses. Feed them good. Give them a little extra night being good late. 
Well, I got a black eye from one of them this morning, and I wasn't paying any attention. He whacked me in the face, and my wife come back from work this afternoon. She says, you been to the bar? And I said, why? Got a shiner. Not a mile wide on your left eye there. Run in and looked in the mirror, and she was right. Boy, I looked like I got into a Donnybrook with somebody. Oh, heck. <laughs> oh. You know, I can tell all my friends, I'm, my wife so, so beat me up. She yeah. abused me. Got I was attacked. Trump, <laughs> a guy who didn't like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, this will be... Oh, John, thanks a lot for being on there. Uh, okay, thank you. And uh, Alex, we'll see you again soon, I hope. Uh, I reckon we will, you. okay. If I don't see you, I'll hear you. Yes, you will. <laughs> okay. Sir, goodbye. This will be, be Gerald Cook uh, on the Hatted Podcast. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Master Show. <laughs>